So I'm Writing a Novel is the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also interview special guests, and when people send them in, I'll answer listener questions. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. I'd like to say a quick thank you to our Patreon supporters who make this show possible, including brand new patron Javier A. Flores Saraga. Patrons receive perks like square bracket, name one thing, or have fun making up something stupid, and square bracket. And if you're not one already, you can check out all the other perks and exclusive content over at patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel. One aspect of writing that can be a great source of mystery and confusion and frustration, but also great joy, is promotion. Self-promotion is its own thing and can do wonders with a bit of luck and a lot of hard work. But one of the reasons why, as an author, you might want to get a book deal with a publisher is to benefit from their resources, connections, experience, and just straight up usually having a person or two or more, if you're lucky, who are dedicated entirely to promotion, to promoting your book. But how exactly does that work? And why is it sometimes if you follow authors on Twitter, you see them complaining that the publisher didn't really promote their book or didn't promote it well or in the right places or, you know, what's what's that all about? Well, to that end, I thought maybe it would be wise for me to talk to someone whose profession is promoting books. Sean Korsgaard has been working at Bain Books for about a year now. He is a veteran and former journalist. Currently, he holds two titles at Bain, one as assistant editor, the other as media and military liaison. It's not just chance that I chose to speak with Sean over anybody else. It's because Sean was doing his job. See, Bain is going pretty hard on the sword and sorcery genre in the years to come by the looks of things. So Sean has been looking into sword and sorcery friendly online communities. And oh, yep, you guessed it. I found him in the Whetstone Tavern Discord. <laughs> and when I was thinking, oh, you know, I'd like to do an episode on book promotion, there he was. All right, let's go hear from Scott instead of just me all the dang time. Here we are with Sean. Hey, Sean. Howdy, Oliver. Glad to have you here. Uh, I got a whole bunch of questions because like anybody who writes, I really want to better understand how publishers sell this stuff hypothetically, maybe sell my stuff one day. So let's uh, just get into her. Um, Let's start at the shallow end of the pool. How does somebody, let's say you, wind up working in book promotion? I know you have kind of an interesting path that got you there. I'll give the medium version as opposed to the short and the long version. I am an army veteran and After I left the military, I spent close to a decade working as a reporter, both in staff and freelance capacities. Something like 1,500 bylines to my name, ranging from the New York Times to VFW Magazine to little science fiction and fantasy blogs. But during that time, I encountered a lot of people in the field, especially doing military reporting from Bain Books, because of a lot of their work with veterans, the military, and of course, military and veteran authors. It was a very big stroke of good luck, actually, honestly. I'd pitched a short story to an anthology of theirs, Time Troopers, which came out earlier this year. 
check it out if you haven't already, and had a military science fiction story that uh, I pitched to Christopher Rocchio, who was one of the editors on it. And as the nature of anthologies sometimes, they had to eventually cut some stuff for space, and my story was on the chopping block. Got a very nice apology from him with an interesting tagline. So I can't publish this, yada da da da, but how would you like a job? <laughs> and it turns out that Christopher Rocchio, author of the Sun Eater series, is retiring to become a full-time writer at the full age of 28. But, yeah, I had that same reaction. But I mean, I would say it must be nice, but I know it's nice. <laughs> it is. And uh, given the kind, the amount of talent he pours into those books, I absolutely understand it. But obviously that left a job opening at Bain, and I'm tremendously honored that when Tony Weisskopf, the editor-in-chief, asked Christopher if he had any replacements in mind, he gave them one name mine. Huh. Nice. And I took a meeting with Tony and Jim Mentz, who's another one of the editors at Bain, and I gave them basically my pitch for how I'd come to Bain, what I'd bring to the table, and aside from a willingness to learn the craft of editing and writing from some of the best ever in the business, I pitched them on streamlining and improving their work with the military because I have that background to call upon, and that experience with press in terms of the fact that I've worked on the other side of the fence. And I, with much love for the other New York publishers, <laughs> they hire their PR people who know how to speak to PR people. I know how to speak to reporters because I was one. I know we hate how PR people talk. And I know could I pause you for a moment to, uh, could you give me an example of what you mean when you say like, you know, how PR people talk and what is, uh, what rubs you the wrong way, what tends to rub uh, people, reporters the wrong way about it? Disingenuineness is the big one. It's just the fact that you can tell they're trying to sell you on something rather than interested in what you have to say. Okay. That's probably the biggest mistake people make with publicity and PR is they come across as, with much love for my fellow mass comm people in the field of PR, they come across as used car salesmen rather than ambassadors. Hmm. And you got to be able to thread that needle. And at least I come from the background where I'm used to having a hundred emails in my inbox every day from various people saying, you should cover this. Here's why. And I would always give preference to somebody who had a sincerity, some genuineness to it, who actually did their homework. Like one of the things I emphasize not just at Bain, but to our authors is the first thing when you get a request for an interview, look up the reporter, not just, and even when you pitch stories, look up the reporter you're pitching it to, know their background, know what they've worked on, compliment them on a story you like, because again, I know what it's like to have a hundred people sending you death threats in your inbox and one person telling you that story meant the world to me. Thank you. You know, I think there's a neat bit of overlap between what you're talking about and uh, any writers listening who are getting frustrated with query letters for agents and publishers, right? Like, do your research, be specific, try and make a connection. Don't just, like, spam people <laughs> with, you know, a, a journal one sheet. Very brief aside, I will say Bain Books is very open about the fact we are one of the largest publishers in the world that our submission window is open 365 days a year. We don't require agents. All of our requirements are on our website, and I'm a writer as well as an employee. I get it. About half of them don't follow our very specific guidelines. A good chunk of them are submitting stuff that isn't fantasy, science fiction, or we actually got a fairly recently sent to our slush pile a very spicy erotic romance novel. I mean, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that's your forte, wonderful. 
It's not our forte. Send it somewhere else, please. Or another one. We require cover letters. A lot of people forget the cover letters, or they don't do the research on who they're sending it to. That would be a Mr. Gray Reinhardt for all of our folks not soliciting editors specifically. So just follow our guidelines, and you're already doing better than 50% of the other submissions. Yeah, well, I mean, there you go, right? I, I don't know one magazine editor I've spoken to in recent months who hasn't had something like, yeah, I do horror, and somebody sent me Garfield fan fiction yesterday. Like, you know, like, it's just, it happens all the time, doesn't it? But I'm sorry, I feel like I've derailed with you. So yeah, so you got off for the job, and you, the first thing you started doing at Bain with streamlining things, you said? I wanted to really build up the military relations side of things, and I'm proud to say we've started to see some real effort on that front. Uh, and it's also connected to the second side of things, is that as of 1983-1984, so 2023-2024, Bain will be 40 years old. That is a big milestone, and yet in the entire time the company has existed, they've never had a dedicated press and PR person. So that's what I pitched them on. I don't have any literary editing background, and I admit that that is something I've been doing my best to learn from everyone else at the company. What I do have is that reporting background, so I do know what it's like to uh, interview authors see new angles for stories, to pitch the local news outlets, and more importantly, that I am earnest and honest that I'm trying to make the press and publicity side of Bain the most open and honest press and PR outfit in publishing. I don't want people to come to us thinking they're just going to get a canned PR state. I want them to know that if I can give them the answers they want, I will, and if I can't, I'll be honest with them. If they want to interview an author, I don't care if you're a national news outlet, a big genre fiction, or a blogger just starting out. I will try my best to accommodate you because I've been at each stage of that process as a reporter. And I know how hard it is to approach an outlet that then slaps you away because you're some cub reporter with five bylines to your name. And to give an example, we have a reviewer for, I can't remember the name of all the outlets he writes for, but his name is Alex Wallace. Outstanding book reviewer. And he'd never gotten a response from the trad publishers. One of the first things I did, because I've liked his reviews, is say, we have the Bain mailing list. Would you like to be on it? All we ask is that you review at least one of our books a month. And the man reviews every single one of them. Oh, there you go. Like a machine gun. Bang, 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 bang. And we love that. And I'm happy to say Alex is, with that wind in his sails, getting bigger bylines and outlets, and I'm excited to see where he goes from here. And I love working with reporters like that because I know that all too often when you're working on that side of the fence, it's like pulling teeth. Meanwhile, I also can look at Bain, see the absolute gold mine of stories to tell. So I'm not going to make it like pulling teeth. I'm serving you a steak, and I'm cutting and putting it on the fork for you. <laughs> All you got to do is take the bite. It also makes me think of a uh, common advice for networking from a realm I'm more familiar with, which is uh, screenwriting, or just film and TV in general, where people say like, yeah, like, be nice to everybody, be nice to the guy working craft, because you never know down the line where they might wind up. You know, they might go off the ladder and you run into them later and they can get you work kind of thing. And I feel like incomparably, like by you developing these relationships and being I say kind of I don't say charitable, but it's certainly the personable uh, with the smaller reporters. While they might become bigger reporters and reviewers, pardon me, uh, and then that can benefit you, right? Because then they have a bigger platform for which to promote Bain's books. Like I think I just think yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I understand that big publishers can't react to every single person with a WordPress site, 
But I do sometimes wish, especially as a guy who chases interviews for <laughs> this very podcast, it was a little easier sometimes to get a hold of you know those publishers and get and try and get access to their writers. Uh, so, so to that end, I think we've, we've sort of transitioned to this anyway. What are your go-to methods when your boss says, "Here's a book we have coming out. Make it a bestseller, please." <laughs> you know, just like just a platonic ideal of a book is handed to you. What is your sort of starting point? The first thing I like to do is I like to sit down with our authors and get a feel for what they had want from it. For example, uh, there's a convention in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Liberty Con, where a lot of our authors attend, most of our editors attend, and we try to exchange notes. And I made it a goal to have a sit down with each of our authors as possible and see what they want. Outlets they'd love to get a byline, you know, coverage in, or local news outlets. Try to get a feel for what they're comfortable with and what they're not. Another mistake way too many publishers make is they treat publicity as one size fits all when every author and every book is different. And I try to take that personal approach as much as I can. To give an example, two of the authors I spoke with at Liberty Con, uh, Mr. Patrick Childs and Les Johnson, one of whom is a decorated veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps, graduate of the Citadel, writes absolutely exciting space military thrillers like picture tom clancy if you like rocket ships more than t-42s the man's brilliant and speaking of brilliance les johnson meanwhile is an actual bona fide rocket scientist at nasa he worked on the artemis mission that just went into space he is not just a guy who writes about getting us to the stars he's actively working on getting us there and more to the point, he writes classical space opera in the very best sense of the word. This is a man who, if he'd been writing 40 years ago, would have easily shared company with Clark, Cornell, Niven, the best of them. And if I have my way, he will in due time. That's true of all of our authors, because I want all of them to succeed. But just those two authors alone, you see that you wouldn't market Patrick Childs like Les Johnson, and you wouldn't market Les Johnson like you would Patrick Childs. And I try to get a feel for how might be the best way to market them. Then, from there on, I make a list. Every single relevant, like to use Pat Childs as an example, the first thing I did was reach out to several military news outlets, especially those that cover the Marine Corps, because... As a former military reporter, I do know we love stories of the vets who return home and do good things. And I'm happy to say Bain has no shortage of authors who offer those. And at least the other side of the thing is I know a lot of our authors were nervous to be dealing with the press. A lot of people are admittedly given the nature of especially television news these days that reporters are looking for a gotcha or an angle that they can twist against you. And I know from experience that's not always the case. Nine times out of ten, it's some poor underpaid schmuck who is just trying to find something that isn't a school board meeting. You'll have to spend seven hours covering that night. And that talking to you about your book for an hour and a half might be the highlight of his week. But again, that's one of the reasons I do say do your research on the reporter. And I've been very avid about trying to build that relationship with various military news outlets. Uh, this past Veterans Day, we got coverage of uh, several of our veterans outreach programs. The biggest one is we sent, and this is not started by me to emphasize this. This is one of the things that made me fall in love with Bain as a company. They have, since the very founding of the company, sent military care packages to anyone who asks in the military. And for whatever reason, they just haven't been very big about talking about that with the military news outlets. So getting that some coverage, getting our authors some coverage, and on the reporting side of things, it's resulted in some great stories. Another one of our authors, uh, Justin Watson, gave a very heartrending talk about uh, 
his time in the army and some of the people he's lost to an outlet called The War Horse, which is a military nonprofit run by some of the best military reporters in the business. And I'm happy to see those relationships and partnerships blossom because, at least on that front, that's especially an area where both sides benefit from telling an important story that may benefit more people and, more cynically, might sell a few books. <laughs> of course. Um, so, okay, so obviously it sounds like, yeah, you, you think hard about what venues to approach and what relationships you can build with even, like, places people wouldn't necessarily think about, I think, you know, like those military papers. Um, the author's background seems to play into it pretty strongly. It does, um, you know. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. We're both excited about what we're talking about. It happens. This actually kind of brings me to my next question, which is like, okay, so the used car salesman thing remark from earlier, I, I, I absolutely hear you. I totally do. But I wonder if sometimes people fall into that a little bit because they run into a challenge. I'm curious to hear how you uh, meet, where you have to find passion to fuel your promotion of the books, I would think, because you're trying to inspire that, you know, a passion for the book in a potential customer. But you can't possibly feel completely head over heels in love with every book you pick up. Nobody can. So how do you find something of a passion in yourself to fuel promotion of books, which if you encounter them solely as a reader, might not really do it for you? Well, that is one of those things that it's nice to actually talk with the authors with. I get to see what about their work makes them passionate. And then I look for how that shines through in their work. And it's always easy to find once they talk about what they love, what makes them love writing, and especially because that's one of those things people always want to talk to writers about, I ask them the kinds of questions I know reporters will ask and see how they answer. And I will occasionally advise, but I'm happy to say most authors are probably better prepared for an interview than I think they may believe themselves to be. Again, nine times out of ten, a reporter is not looking to stick a knife between your ribs. They're looking for 500 to 1,000 words about you and your book, and some really colorful poll quotes. And I think that's honestly the big part of my job with interview prep is just teaching authors to make the reporter's job easy and makes them really, really like you. Give them a good sounding quote. Have a couple of stories prepared in the back of your mind. Uh, think about how you're going to answer the next question as it's being asked. Just little things like that. So finding their passion helps you nurture a passion in yourself that you can then put into your sales efforts is basically what you would say. Yes. And at least the other thing is, again, I'm a reporter. I always will be, even if I still work, I now work for Bain Books. I know stories when I see them. And I will say, I love that Bain Books, Tony Weisskopf, our editor-in-chief, was very clear that I can still do freelance reporting to scratch that itch whenever I want, but nothing about Bain Books because that is an ethical violation. And she's right. I wouldn't do it in the first place. But that is upsetting because I see the number of stories that could be told. And it is a freelance reporter's gold mine. And I am not allowed to touch it. <laughs> but I am allowed to be the guy shouting there's gold and then there hills. So I basically just try to find the reporters who have that same passion, who are looking for stories, who have told good ones in the past. And then I connect them with the authors and let the magic happen. Sounds good, man. Um, so... Here's one that I know could easily eat up the whole hour. Let's be, let's be careful. I'm saying that to myself as much as anybody. Uh, where exactly do you feel social media falls in the hierarchy of promotional methods? It's been proven pretty conclusively in recent years that large author follower accounts do not automatically transcribe into big sales and that you can't force viral sales posts. You know, just get the author on TikTok. It'll all work out. Yeah. Yet it's uh, undeniable that social media can make a noteworthy difference. So where, where do you sit on all that? Once again, sincerity. I know that uh, 
At the risk of tapping into some controversy, Larry Correa, one of our most successful authors. One of the reasons he is very successful is the way he connects with his fans and readers. He's approaching it like himself. He is still himself. He doesn't try to spin it. And that appeals to a lot of people. That's true of many of our authors, whether it's Larry Correa or some of our new authors. The best thing that they can do is just be sincere. Don't try to be someone you're not. You are not a brand. You are a person. Continue to be a person. Of course, try to sell your books. Try to tell people about them. But the way you do it is not by, uh, to quote uh, a 90s TV show, buy my book, buy my yes. book, buy my book. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've all seen the author who just like posts every other day on all the same Facebook groups over and over again kind of thing. And it just, yeah, it's exhausting. And I don't think anybody on either end of that is enjoying it much. But at least one of the other things I have noticed is that a lot of authors do struggle to talk about their books. It's hard to talk about yourself. I struggle talking about myself. You wouldn't believe it for someone with a reporting background, but I have massive social anxiety issues, but it's much easier to talk about other people. It's much easier to talk about your friends. So one of the things I do advise all of our authors to do is, hey, you read a lot of our books, you find one you like, talk about it, plug it, share it with other people. And that's been very helpful. Like most recently, uh, we've had three of our Midwestern authors, Joelle Presby, once again, uh, Patrick Childs, and Dan Koble. They write three very different styles of books, but they all live in Ohio, have connected really well with each other, and Joelle had a book come out this month, The Dabare Snake Launcher. And we had the three of them, well, it was Patrick and Joelle in Cleveland, but the three of them in Columbus all appear at a signing together, promoting each of their books. Going into a book signing is a terrifying thing. You never know if anyone's even going to show up, but having your mates at your back and at your side, that helps. And at the same time, if it's a little embarrassing trying to sell your book, it's much easier to try and sell your friends. And more cynically, having three authors with three very different fan bases pulls in a lot more people than just one author with maybe a narrower fan base. Helps people find new books. Now, I really like that, the idea of mutual community support kind of thing, either within a publisher or just across a scene in general. It's certainly something I'm trying to pursue in my own efforts. How would you, could we bring it back to social media though for a second? Would you say, of course. like, then you have your authors, you know, you encourage your authors to like tag each other kind of thing as well as big each other up on social media? Like, and is there any particular platform that you have had the best results with, you feel, with Bane? Without giving too much company trade secrets, I know it's odd to hear with all the talk of it being a dying hellscape. Twitter has been our big successful growth area, as has uh, YouTube, and we're getting more into streaming moving forward, especially because several of our authors have been experimenting with that and doing their own thing and having a lot of success. And of course, BookTube is the big emerging promotional market. So we're trying to dip our toes a bit more into that wherever we can. But especially for a brand, Twitter remains the best area to do outreach. Facebook is really great for personal connections between fans and authors, but unless you've got a giant wad of cash you're throwing Mark Zuckerberg's way, he will stifle your promotional pages. That has been a big issue I think every branded page has run into, is that unless you're paying them for advertising, your page will not get the views it needs, the likes it needs, or perhaps should, despite the fact that each post will get a lot of likes, a lot of shares, a lot of comments, a lot of feedback. But it's a pay-to-win system. Twitter, at least, is more democratic. Yeah. At least that's my encounter. I don't like Instagram personally, but I know several of our authors have had a lot of success with it. I know other publishers have had success with it. So I would say that for pushing books, Twitter is great for, especially if you're trying to 
reach news outlets, other authors, genre podcasts, and connecting professionally. Facebook is great for connecting personally. But again, my rule of thumb, and I one of the first things I did at Bain was I drew up what I lovingly call the Bain Social Media Survival Guide. Hmm. And rule one is don't say anything you wouldn't tell a child or your grandmother. Yeah, I'm always a little stunned. I mean, I don't need to name names, but when I see authors who are just uh, just railing on about whatever gripe they've got, <laughs> and and I'm just like, do you think anybody who reads your books wants to hear you cursing out the mailman or whatever? Like, I mean, it's hard to come up with a hypothetical that sounding like I'm I'm vaguely talking about someone specific, but I'm you know what I'm talking about, listeners. I'm yes. sure you know what I'm talking about. It's it's deeply off putting, even if it doesn't um, tread on anything that you are particularly a fan of or whatever. It's just like an off putting tone. You know what I mean? <laughs> And sometimes it works. Look, one of the reasons Larry Correa is as popular as he is, is he goes occasionally on these Dennis Leary-style tirades against how awfully written the Star Wars movies are, for example, that everybody just loves or has a yuck at or kicks Disney at their expense. Which, you know, who doesn't like kicking the mouse around when they can? But again, there's just so much negativity on social media. You don't need to add to it if you can avoid it. Again, You've got to judge it yourself. Bain is a publisher. Despite rumors to the contrary, we don't have company politics beyond buy our books, support the troops. We like libraries. Our authors, though, run the gamut. From the late, great Eric Flint, may he rest in glory, being a literal card-carrying socialist union organizer who shed more blood for the labor movement than most people will ever know, to literal conservative national security advisors. And yet they all have great stories to tell, different angles to approach, different ways to connect with fans. But the big thing is just try to be positive. Don't be another depressing thing on social media. Yeah, don't be essentially the news, right? Like, we, there's enough. That's that's covered, is my feeling. Uh, I forget exactly when now, but somewhere probably around 2016, I remember I found myself just getting a little too mad about the world online. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I sharing this? Why do I expect anybody to want to follow me? if this is what I'm doing. And I, to varying levels of success, have weaned myself off of that pretty much entirely. And I just try to be like, is this something interesting? Is this something fun? You know, okay, yes, I'll share that. That's basically been my attitude. And at least part of it's also that within sci-fi fantasy fandom, and this is not to name any one author or one group, 90% of the people are wonderful. But that remaining 10% can really make it suck sometimes. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're a new author, experienced author, private or publisher. Nobody likes the smoths, the people who try to make everything about them. And if you don't dance to their beat, try to beat you over the head for it. Don't be a dick. What about my opinion? (laughs) Like I wasn't asking for it. (laughs) And I think part of the temptation into that comes from the mistaken belief that someone else selling a book means you didn't sell one, that there is a finite pie, and that if you don't steal your piece from someone else, you're going to go hungry. Mm -hmm. I am a much firmer belief in the a rising tide raises all boats theory. We are much better off helping promote each other and the industry as a whole than trying to poke holes in the bottom of the boat because we don't like what one of the lieutenants told us. Well, you're absolutely preaching to the converted there. That's very much been my philosophy from the start. 
I actually surprised a few people when I was like bigging up other magazines while promoting mine <laughs> in the, the summer. And they go, oh, thanks, man. You mentioned, you know, and I was like, yeah, of course I did. Like we want people reading more of this stuff in general, right? It's especially important moving forward because I'm sure every author and every reader who's walked into a Barnes & Noble in the past two years has noticed that shrinking size of the sci-fi fantasy section. And there is that gut temptation to shove someone else's head beneath the waves in hopes you get another gasp of breath. But that doesn't help anyone. My nightmare scenario is not one group or another dominating the genre. It is walking into a Barnes & Noble five years from now and seeing them dump the last of the sci-fi fantasy section in clearance and replacing it with toys and manga. Yeah, yeah. We don't have Barnes & Noble up in Canada, but similarly, we have a chain called Indigo. And I just, you know, I remember one point I saw a lot of shelves in general get shoved out for like pillows and candles. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, that's exactly, that's the, the alarming thing to me as well. Uh, so sort of a subsidiary to the previous question, I'm wondering how do you feel about the, the usefulness and how to use uh, publisher and author newsletters. I asked this especially in reference, uh, kind of, yeah, the ongoing fiasco with Twitter, which uh, listener, as of recording, this is November 19th. And we've just had like, I think two days in a row where around eight o'clock-ish, it started to feel kind of like the end of high school with everybody being like, here's my contact info so you can find me later after we all leave this place. Uh, still here, I personally could be proven wrong. I think it's going to be more of a rough patch than a death uh, of the platform, but we'll see. Anyway, point being, sorry, especially for coming back to newsletters, I, I'm curious, especially to think of them as uh, what they've been discussed as a lot lately, which is insurance against platform collapse like Twitter, as I just babbled about for a second there. And yet there's this curious um, issue with newsletters as insurance against platform collapse, which author Chip Zdarsky, I felt, really nailed it with this short sort of scripted uh, exchange that he wrote where it was just basically like, and yes, uh, you please check out my author newsletter, which, as we all know, is now the future of connecting with people without having to rely on social media. And then the other person in this exchange says, okay, cool. How do you let people know about your newsletter? The answer, social media, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I guess that was kind of a wandering uh, question, but yeah, the author newsletters, publisher newsletters, how do, you, how do you feel about them? How do you feel about best using them? They've been very successful. Bain, for example, has been having a publisher newsletter available for decades now. Bain has always been one of those companies that jumps on things before they're popular, whether it be the one of the first publishers on the internet or one of the first publishers to jump onto ebooks. Bain was putting out ebooks before there were even Kindles to read them on, when people were reading them on Palm Pilots or their computers. Nice. But newsletters, at least for the company side of things, are very useful. And I do encourage everybody to, especially our aspiring authors, subscribe to the Bain newsletter, if only because you get to hear when we're about to start our submission contests, which are great for new authors. I say that as someone who placed in one of those contests. I didn't win, but I'd say getting to work for the company is a nice consolation prize. Yeah, you got a pretty unique and interesting prize there, yeah. <laughs> but it is very nice for one-stop shop for promotion, cross-promotion. Uh, one of the things that's becoming increasingly common that I've noticed and I've tried to start implementing is book tours, where people will go onto different websites and newsletters and let people talk about their books or talk about them themselves, present new eyeballs to different spheres. It's, like I said, one of those cross-promotion opportunities that's, I hate to use the corporate term, cross-promotion, but that's what it is, except it's, it's not brand and brand saying, buy our stuff. It's author you like saying, here's an author I enjoy. Maybe you will enjoy too. But as long as you offer something of value, 
Remember to plug your books, but not overbearing. A lot of our authors have a lot of success with their websites, with their books, with their blogs, to especially connect with their fans. But the main thing I would advise anyone is keep an eye on growing that pie and that audience. That's honestly my biggest approach to looking for places where to plug Bane and our authors has been as wonderful as fandom is. It is a very small pie, as that section at Barnes & Noble shows could potentially be a shrinking pie. So what do you do? You look for more pies. That's why we're looking at the military audience, people who read techno thrillers, in-market audiences that way. For people with young kids, know which books are great for families and kids. We actually create reading guides and teaching guides for most of our titles, just so that if teachers or homeschoolers or parents want to find some educational value along with the explosions and sword fights, they can do that. Mm-hmm. Find ways to connect with your readers, but also find ways to find new readers. And don't be afraid to sometimes step out of your comfort zone to do it. Yeah, I think that's so key. You know, I mean, I, I to come back to the, the genre I've been thinking hardest about the last few years, which is sword and sorcery. Again, not naming names, not trying to be a dick. I do feel um, a lot of, I've seen a lot of people be getting frustrated at how slow they've been able to grow their audiences. And then I look at what they're doing and they're just kind of talking to the scene how can you expand beyond the scene if you never talk to anybody else do you know what i mean it just it seems obvious but you see a lot of that it's the worst mistake that even big publishers and fan groups make preaching to the choir here's the thing though the choir is there to begin with that does not mean you antagonize your base or you try to discard them in favor of a new one you are not walt disney do not do that but that doesn't mean you can't find more or different angles or try to get butts in the pews a different way because there might be some angle you haven't looked at or some audience you haven't considered that might be the one that explodes for you and, and you'll never know promotional newsletter th- so, sorry <laughs> oh no please but yeah i was just saying and as, as i say the cross promotional newsletter thing like i I have really liked that when I've been reading a newsletter by, you know, a publisher or an author I really like. And they're like, hey, you know what? Here's somebody who's not me for two paragraphs just telling you about something kind of nifty. You know, sometimes it's a regular feature. Sometimes it's uh, just a completely different author every time. But, yeah, I find that really works. That's definitely something I want to look at. I think two difficulties with newsletters uh, I'm curious to hear your thought on is um, frequency. I I know... uh, We've all gotten newsletters, I think, from people we subscribe to where you can tell they just felt they had to crank one out this week, you know, rather than they actually wanted to write something. And so you just kind of hear a lot about like, oh, the dog was sick. And you're like, all right. Uh, uh, So, yeah, I think sometimes you you get sort of very substandard newsletters. And I guess social media engagement in general when authors feel pressure to meet some kind of schedule rather than perform when they're feeling like it. Uh, And then also in a similar vein, length. You know, I personally am a huge fan of publish- when it comes to publishers as opposed to authors, newsletters that are just like, hey, we got a new thing. Here's that thing. All right. See you next time when we have a new thing. Bye. Like, that's all I want because I have a busy inbox. Uh, but sometimes you get like, you know, 10 mile long uh, newsletters with piles of graphics and you can tell they put a lot of effort into it. And I feel bad because I'll read like the headlines and I'll zero in on one or two things and then I'll delete it. And authors sometimes will write like a 10,000 word essay or boss too much, but you know what I mean? Something like three or 4,000, 5,000 words. And I just look at it and go, God, that's so cool. I have a hundred other emails. <laughs> so do you ever coach um, Bain authors on like, you know, how often and what and how long maybe their newsletter should be? Like trying to find that balance between being engaging and exhausting. Another one of our editors who's tremendously great at working with our authors and helping them is Dave Butler, who 
himself is an author all of you should check out, especially you Sword and Sorcery fanboys out there. If I'm the guy who knows how to deal with press, he's the guy who knows how the industry works. And this may sound like a cop-out answer, but every author and every audience will be different, especially on stuff like that. There are some authors, like Larry Correa, or to name some outside authors, John Scalzi, who can thrive giving these 10,000-word diatribes and also not let their work production suffer. And then there are authors who fall into the trap that those newsletters and social media consume what otherwise might have been used for short stories or fiction. And likewise, there are, one of my favorite examples is Timothy Zahn. His newsletters and social media posts are generally the following. You can find me at this convention here. Here's me at that convention. Look at these fans. I love my fans. Here's my new book. Please buy it. It's about this. Sweet to the point, and yet he has proven to his audience time and time again, be it the Star Wars fans, the Cobra fans, what I hope will be the Icarus fans, that he puts out good books. He genuinely loves his fans. He tells them where he can find them, where he can find his books. Short, sweet, to the point, but utterly sincere. And that's mm -hmm. the key. Be you, but don't be afraid to sell, but you want to be Approach it like you're trying to talk your friend into trying something you love. Not that you're a car salesman trying to sell a beat-up old Cadillac. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. One of the earliest things I learned uh, when I was going through screenwriting training in Canada was just like, when you're pitching your project, uh, yeah, exactly what you said, like, pretend you just watched the movie and loved it, and now you're at the bar afterwards trying to tell a buddy to go watch it and why it was so freaking cool. Like, then, yeah, your sincerity will come through and it'll be very much easier for you to explain why you think it's cool rather than trying to hit 10 points that some guy told you to, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Exactly so. And kind of conversely, in the rare times that you do go negative, again, walking out of the movie, it's okay to trash the blockbuster movie that spent, you know, cost half a billion dollars to make. And yet you could see the mic in every other shot and the special effects look like they were made on parlor. But it's a little less so to, you know, don't be the be the guy who punches the heavyweight titan, not the guy who kicks the puppy. Yeah, I mean, punching up is just such good advice, I think, in general, if you're going to be uh, negative or snarky or try and wring some humor out of that for sure. Uh, so moving on, I, I'm curious about an aspect of your job, which maybe it's not a big part, but maybe it is. Let's find out. I feel like managing expectations must be a big part of sales. You know, sometimes authors get frustrated that publishers don't press the big red button marked New York Times bestseller. And equally, sometimes publishers seem to get annoyed that their authors don't just hit the big red button marked viral promotional tweet uh, or whatever. You know, how much of your job is managing expectations on both sides? And like, how do you do that? Honestly, it's something that I do struggle with somewhat. I'm the guy who always tries to shoot for the moon and will, if I'm all honestly, occasionally miss. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying to shoot for the moon. And unfortunately, one of the things that I have learned about publishing, even when you're with one of the big publishers, that you can do everything right and still fail. It's mm -hmm. one of the most frustrating things I think I see in the industry. You can pour your love into a book, craft it marvelously, sell it the right way, connect on the right audiences, and still fail. It's something that I think every author fears, every publisher fears, and as of yet, I don't have a good answer for it beyond just don't give up, keep trying. Keep trying to find the way that you connect, the way that the audience, that 
loves your work as much as you do. And first off, the New York Times bestseller list is bullshit. Well, I mean, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I just meant, you know, like the press big button that like my book succeeds, (laughs) make books succeed. You know what I mean? Because I think there can be this feeling on both sides of it. You know, the authors can sometimes think publishers just have to press a big button and the book sells. And sometimes, you know, publishers seem to think that the author can just like talk on social media and the book sells. In both cases, it's a reasonable hope, but it's an obscene uh, expectation. You know, demand maybe is a better way of putting it. One of the things that I will admit has been, again, one of the things that I would have killed for as a reporter is access to some of the industry data that I get as somebody who works for a publisher. And judge yourself by yourself not by others, especially because without getting too specifics, yes, that YouTuber with half a million followers got a big advance and a big book deal, and their book was on the New York Times bestseller list for a week. But I can promise you that second book by them sold fewer copies than yours. And you are accountable for doing better than you did the day before. You are not accountable for not being the next David Weber or the next Robert E. Howard. You need to be the best version of you and find the way to do that. And ideally, for the writers at Bain, I try to find the best way we can help them do that, that I can help them do. I might not always succeed, but I will always try. Right. So I think that's a good attitude to take to the authors. Do you ever have to turn around to your bosses and be kind of like, look, we want every book to sell a billion copies. I don't think this particular author's book is going to sell a billion copies, but I think they are worth pursuing anyway. Like, how does that conversation go? It's something I haven't had, again, as of this month, I've worked for Bain for one year. Yay! (laughs) Congratulations. In that time of the manuscripts I've read, I have passed four up to my boss. That is the innumerously talented Tony Weisskopf, one of the best editors in the business. And learning from her and everyone else up the chain has been one of the best experiences of my life. But one of those things is that, like, for example, of those four, three are still in her to read pile, and one is Howard Andrew Jones' Lord of the Shattered Land. But for other books that I've done evaluations on, I've seen some of the ways, and Bain is very good about asking the editors and evaluators feedback, why they think it'll work. Why won't it work? What could be improved on? And I will say one of the most exciting things is that, like you, I love Sword and Sorcerer. I took one look at Lord of the Shattered Land, and I was very honest in my evaluation of it. I said, I will be first in line to buy this book, whether or not it has our logo on the spine, but it will be a tragedy if it does not. I gave the list of everything I liked about the book. And Tony, to her credit, approaches it with a healthy dose of skepticism, reads my evaluation, reads the first pages, 50 pages of the book, and is like, connect me with his agent. And that's the story of how Howard Andrew Jones became a Bane author. Do you find that, like, aside from, of course, writing the best damn book they can, is there anything that an author can provide you to help you make turn around and make that case to Tony? Know what we publish. That's the big one. Include that in your cover letter. For example, Bain is not picky about, we like good books. We're not the company that will just publish anything with an exploding spaceship on the cover, or a shirtless barbarian, as the case may be. But we do have an audience. We do have, we like hard science fiction. We like military space opera. We love Sword and Sorcery. It doesn't have to be in those boxes. Bring the best damn book you can. And the other thing is, maybe a book won't connect with me. It might connect with one of our other editors. We all have our own tastes. And frankly, one of the things that's really nice is one of us may look at a book we publish and think it's symphonic, magnificent, 
beautiful, and it might just not connect with someone else. Both are opinions of equal value, because not every book will connect with every audience. But learning how to evaluate it has been one of the things I've been learning at Bain Books. And again, the best advice I have to say is know who you're selling to. Be sincere about it. Put in your best work. Do your research. That's the other thing. Um, one of the rare books I've rejected was I would lovingly describe as a parody of a Bane military sci-fi title. Like, it felt like a book somebody who hated Bane, hates military science fiction, and just wanted to do a giant attempted a piss take at both. And here's the thing. If it had been good, that would have been one thing, but yeah. I could tell that there was no love behind it. And that is probably the biggest thing that can doom a book. If it's a narrative you're passionate about, that will shine through the manuscript. You can fix a book that isn't perfect, but you have a vision for. You can't fix what's just cranked out as product. Yeah, yeah. No, there's absolutely no... Yeah, you can't perform a kind of almost heart surgery and implant passion after the fact, for sure. Okay, so I feel like we've kind of tap danced around this a bit. We don't have to spend too long on it. But I am very curious... In promotion, how do you define your victory conditions from book to book? Like, I can't imagine you go into the process with every book aiming for nothing less than world domination. Now, you have said, of course, you try, because, I mean, you know, ultimately you do want all books to take over the world. But I imagine for purposes of longevity, it might make more sense for some books to take kind of the, um, what do you call it, like the 1,000 or 10,000 true fans approach of aiming for a smaller audience, but like the right audience, you know, the kind of people who are like, these people will glue on for years. They'll follow this author through five more books kind of thing, rather than going completely broad. Uh, or am I into lunch here? Is it just always like, let's go for world domination and see how close we get with every single book? It's a combination. Naturally, of course, we would love if every single one of our books sells 100,000 copies. Please, people listening to this podcast, buy our books, make them sell 100,000 copies. But one of those things I do try to talk with our authors about, the reason I ask them what their goals are, is those are always some of my benchmarks. For example, uh, one of our authors, one of our new authors, actually, a big fan of Locust Magazine. And one of the first things I did once I got all of his intake packet, and that's one of the other things I do, is one of the first things I did was a press kit so that I can send press kits out to other people. And he really wants to be interviewed by Locus. And I'm trying my best to get him that interview with Locus. Looks like we might already have a reviewer for it, which is great. Someone else, it might be, uh, they want to be in Wired. They want to be in Reason. They want to be on this YouTuber's channel. They want a blurb from this author. They want good reviews, or they want to hear it connect with people, or Every author has a different benchmark for success, and I think one of the things I always try to make for is to help them achieve those. Sales are always a crapshoot. Always will be. Obviously, we try to do better each book. I'm happy to say, most times, we do. But authors know their audience and know what they want perhaps more than I ever could. So I really do try to talk to them and see what they want for it and see how best I can help them achieve that. Okay, so you work with the authors to set the, the goals more or less and, uh, and take it from there. Okay, I think that's a good approach. Occasionally, I will, I mean, not to divert, occasionally I will find an angle maybe the author hadn't considered, and I will mm -hmm. pursue that as well. But I usually tell the author to and see if they're comfortable with that. But the other thing is, of course, that above my pay grade, the folks at Bay know what they're doing. They know how to, the book might, even if it doesn't set the world ablaze, will strike the chord it needs to. I said, I would say. In time, maybe it'll become a concert, but until then, we'll help you put out the best version of your book and do our best to find it the audience it deserves. 
Well, that's refreshing to hear because we often hear about like the death of the midlist and the death of publishers trying to do anything but knock it out of the park with the very first book. And if it doesn't go, you know, to the moon on book one, well, the hell with this author kind of thing, you know, where then you read these what feel like fables of like publishers in the 70s and 80s being like, yeah, here's a three book deal. We don't expect the first two books to sell very well. We'll just like figure it out. You know, we'll get you there. Maybe by book three, you'll be selling really well kind of thing and like give authors a chance to like develop uh, in public uh, in a way that you just don't see very much of anymore. I will say one thing that's been nice learning at Bain is they do try to take that personal touch with the authors where they can. That especially for longtime Bain authors, that we we understand there are ups and downs, the good moments and bad, and there's a flexibility to it that I think maybe some other publishers lack. And I do love that about Bain. We we have some of the most dedicated fans, most dedicated readers. And our authors are some of the most dedicated. And Bain does its best to return that fandom and that dedication to its readers, its writers, and anywhere it can. Okay, so I'm going to end this on a thorny question that always seems to come up whenever I hear writers talking about promotion. Uh, and some publishers as well, uh, for people who work in publishing, I should say. And to be clear, I'm not thinking of Bain or anyone specific. This is a, like a kind of perennial frustration. I'm curious to get your 10 cents on. So why do you think... Sometimes publishers let good, and good is subjective, but, you know, let good authors flounder and then blame poor sales on them when it feels like publisher promotion is kind of the number one sales driver, right? I always find it strange, like, usually when you see an established company in any field at all do something that feels inherently illogical, like invest in an author all the way up to the point of publication only to then kind of just leave them, you know, adrift. Usually when you see something like that, it's for financial reasons which aren't visible to the public but make perfect sense from an angle of short-term profit, kind of like the plot of the producers, right? But I personally cannot see the angle to investing resources in an author all the way up to the point of publication to then, as I say, leave them to flounder. Can you? Do you have any idea what is going on there? Like, I know sometimes people are just being dumb and doing bad strategy, but it seems too consistent uh, a phenomenon across all publishing to write off as purely people being idiots. Honestly, that's puzzled me for years as a reader, as an aspiring writer. And unfortunately, it's still something that puzzles me now as someone who works for a publisher. That is one thing I will say is every publisher is different, but there is a lot even within the industry I don't understand. For example, a publisher might sink six to seven figures of advertising on a first time author because they've got a big Twitter following. Or that they're a YouTuber that was popular a few years ago, or because they just like the cut of their jib. They give it a massive print run, and then the book bombs. Meanwhile, that kind of resources could have really boosted up a, a dedicated midlister, or maybe it might not have, because the industry's a total crapshoot. And that's unfortunately honest and true. Like I said, you can do everything right and still fail. Or sometimes it's top down, like. Uh, Again, I can't name companies, but one of the big sci-fi fantasy publishers is basically gutting its list of authors, even the ones that turn profits and sell books. And I can't find a rhyme or reason in it. No one I've talked to can either. Like, it makes no sense. So sometimes it's, this is just always the way we've done things. Sometimes it seems like there's almost a madness or insanity to the approach. I... I don't have a good answer for it. I just know that the Bane model seems to be more stable than most for both authors and the publisher. 
I cannot go into that model because for one thing, I've only just started to learn what the model is and I'm not allowed to talk about it. But <laughs> I feel confident saying we're in a better place than some other publishers and we're working to make it a better place. And to be clear, I don't begrudge our competition because if one or two of them fail, that will have knock-on effects on all of us. If Barnes & Noble, which was during the lockdowns, one month from bankruptcy, shudders or guts the sci-fi fantasy section, that's 30% of all of our sales or whatever portion of 30% of brick-and-mortar retail. They are about half of that, let's say. Yeah. I honestly... And it is frustrating not to be able to provide an answer, but I'm trying to be honest and true on this one. That's all good, man. I mean, that's the, that's the way to do it. You will never know until it will succeed. All you can do is do all you can to enable it to succeed, to connect with audiences. And Bane tries to, I try to, and our authors try to. Yeah, and I guess in the meanwhile, when we see these sort of very confusing moves, uh, as I say, like doing everything but promoting the book, or as you mentioned, you know, the other kind of case where people invest hugely in what don't actually seem like a good bet. All you can kind of do is go, well, you know, maybe it would have worked in another universe, who knows, and move on and try not to focus too hard on it and get too frustrated, which is easy to say, of course, when neither of us is the author who uh, <laughs> got no help on promoting their book, but here we are. All right, so I just want to wrap up with one last question to take the heat off publishers for a second. The other, the, to me, the flip side of that question is kind of like, you know, how it must be frustrating when an author, and we touched upon this a little bit earlier, who has, you know, every author has, every motivation to want their book to succeed. So it must be hard when you're working with an author who just feels like, oh, I'm too shy, you know, or I just, I something I see a lot is, I just want to write the book. Oh, that's all I want to do, you know, um, and so on. Like thus promoting their latest work minimally or not at all. What is your approach to kind of deal with an author, uh, deal with sounds kind of punitive? I just mean like work with an author who is very like uh, withdrawn, shy. I don't want to promote the book. I just want to let you guys do it. Like what's, what's your take there? There are authors we do that with. Again, I'll never force an author outside their comfort zone. If they don't appear on camera, I'm not going to put them on the local. I'm not going to work to put them on the local news or have them do a Zoom call with a YouTuber. But I, I still try to find ways that I can promote them. Like to give an example, we have a new author at Bain named Michael Mersault. Michael Mersault is not his name. In fact, we can't use his name because. He is somebody with a very nice sized rank in the U.S. military. Okay. <laughs> so you literally have an author whose books you can't promote the author on. We still try to market the book. The authors who are willing to help promote the book, to connect with audiences, to do the extra legwork, that is another bullet in the gun, another weapon in our arsenal, another tool that we can use. And we will use it to the best of our abilities, but we're not... Maybe it's not true of every publisher, but at least Bain, we, we won't force the authors outside of their comfort zone. We want them producing books, and we want them producing good books. And everything else, we just try to do the best we can to get them sold. Well, that's refreshing to hear, because I, I do frequently hear frustrations with uh, authors who feel like all the publishing work, uh, pardon me, promotional work is being kind of dumped on them, and they're expected to just do it all on social media somehow magically. And I don't know how much of that exactly is like, uh, legitimate complaint or just a general feeling of put upon this that leads to whining uh, is hard to measure. Uh, so it's nice to hear a publisher say like, yeah, like we're just going to do with them what they're willing to do and no further. And at least here at Bain, I try to treat every author the same. I try to offer as many opportunities to our new authors as I would to one of our big ones. 
the big ones, obviously, uh, when they swing for defenses, they get a lot more homers than some new author. That doesn't mean I'm still not going to swing for defenses with the newbies. Because you never know. You might send one right into the bleachers. Well, you never know, and you also have to think long term, right? Those those big name authors are usually older, and they're probably you know eventually they're gonna stop. <laughs> you want you want to have new guys coming up, right? So yeah, okay. So this is usually where I wrap things up with like an author. I'd say like, what's your next book you're working on? Where can people find you? Kind of thing. You know, it's no secret where to find Bane, but Sean, I know you, as you mentioned, you write and you have a story coming out. Uh, do you mind repeating that? You have a story coming out in an anthology, don't you? Yes, I have my first ever anthology with Bane. World's Long Lost, which I co-edited with the superbly talented Christopher Rocchio. We have stories from Orson Scott Card, Adam Oyabanji, Dave Butler, Patrick Childs, David J. West. A lot of authors tackling ancient alien stories. And for part of that, my first ever published short story will be on the Bane website. Completely free of charge. So for all of you who want a taste of what else is in the anthology, I'm offering the first one free. What's the name of your story? Black Box. Okay. So look for Black Box by Sean Korsgaard. And do, do you have a personal author site or anything like that going on? Or is all your presence kind of like enmeshed with Maine? It's one of those things that I've kind of put on the back burner while I work to, uh, for one, actually have more than one short story to promote. Fair enough. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm putting a lot of my effort into Bane and our authors. And when the time comes, I'll hitch my wagon to their rockets. Uh, okay, so maybe the better thing to ask you would be if, say, people want to connect with you in your role at Bain, how is the best way to do that? It depends on what capacity you're asking. First, as a writer, I will be honest. I do not have the power to acquire your books. You are better off submitting your novels through our slush pile, or if you have an agent, I will connect you with one of our editors. Or, again, direct you to the slush pile. We're we are open every day of the year. We typically average six to eight months, which is fast by industry standards, shocking as it may be. And we treat every author equally. I can tell you what kind of stories might be what we're looking for. But beyond that, my primary jobs are our military, I'm our military liaison and I'm our press and PR coordinator. Now, for our authors who might have blogs, reviewers, interviewers, bloggers, news outlets, I'm your man. By all means, if you have an author you want to interview, a book you want to review, an idea for a story, come talk to me. I'm not hard to find. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. My email is on the company website. Please don't be afraid to reach out. I really am sincere that I don't care if you're from the New York Times. I don't care if you're a greenhorn blogger who's just got a few book reviews under their belt. I try my best to give everybody a chance and see what they do with it. I want the most open and honest press company in publishing, and I'm very happy that my bosses are giving me free reign to set one up for that. And for our readers, if I can ask them anything, go look at our website, Bain.com. Look for an author you might not have tried before, a book that looks interesting to you. We've got a ton of superbly talented authors, some brilliant books, and being Bain, home of the Bain Free Library, are smart enough to offer a hundred of them for free. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, actually, when I mentioned I was uh, going to be talking to someone from Bain today, uh, a buddy of mine, just to a buddy of mine in private chat, he was like, oh, I love their free book program, man. It's really been handy for like sampling stuff. Well, uh, I will so, say yeah. one little tidbit for your friend and any of the other listeners. We are going to be adding more books to the Bain Free Library over the next, hopefully, few months. We cannot disclose what they are yet, but 
a few contracts have been signed. We're still talking with some authors and we're going to be adding new titles for the first time, just in time for our anniversary. Awesome. All right, Michonne. Well, I mean, we can talk all day, but I think we've covered some pretty good material here. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk again or surely I will talk to a Bane author at some point down the line. Uh, it was lovely having you here, man. Take care. Until we speak again. So I'm Writing a Novel features original intro and outro music by Gloria Guns and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to so I'm writing a novel at gmail.com. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing, that's at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, or checking out any of the other ways you can support the show by heading to so I'm writing a novel.com slash support the show, which has things like links to our Patreon, Coffee, and PayPal. Thanks for hanging out with me and Sean, and I'll see you soon. <laughs>